Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the Jamie Sports News Podcast. I am Ben and Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, let's build, man. Let's build. Where did that come from? I'm just trying to build, you know, constantly trying to build, and that's sort of my focus now, especially now the Lions are building. They're building something special. You kept Ben Johnson. Congratulations. Uh, maybe next year you can win the Super Bowl as a Lions fan. First time you can experience happiness as a Lions fan. As a Seahawks fan, I experience that quite often, especially when we hire Mike McDonald. But it's playoff time, and the usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship. And our partner, Bet Online, is your number one source for all your football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything from the coin toss to the color of the Gatorade bath, Bet Online is the number one source for your championship wagering. Head to Bet Online and join today to get in on all of the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. That's a new, that's a new one. Hmm. I think it'll be clear. I think it'll be water this year. Okay, bold. Uh, you know what's not water? Three-notched beer. Not not water. It's actually just delicious beer. And Three Notch is doing a lot of special things. They've got Minuteman Mondays, $3 Minuteman Pours. This is the Harrisonburg location. You get half-off cases on Tuesdays. And on Friday, First Tap Friday, they release a new brew every week. Great brewery. We love it. They've had us for a live podcast. Um, we're, we're stoked to have them uh, sponsoring us again and, and excited for the rest of the academic and athletic calendar. Yeah, exactly. And their passion fruit ghost is coming. So stock up on their blackberry ghost that they have at the Valley Collab House now as well. There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and we cave it's no good yeah no good segue coming off of a christopher william jewelers ad into today's episode we're gonna get things started right away bring on jamry chroma a defensive lineman for jmu just graduated from james madison after two years with the dukes after transferring in from rutgers and jammer you had yourself a, a fantastic final season in the valley and now you're gearing up for the nfl draft how are you doing on this monday I'm doing good. I mean, everything's going good over here. Just enjoying this process, taking things one uh, one at a time. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for, for coming on. You're fresh off the uh, the appearance in the Shrine Bowl. I was yeah. curious how that process worked in terms of getting invited when you found out you were going to play in the bowl and, and that whole experience, which is also um, just awesome for somebody trying to play in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for the experience with the Shrine Bowl, like starting off with the invite, I got the invite a couple weeks ago. So I'll say probably like two and a half or three weeks before like the actual game. Uh, I felt like maybe I could have got it like way before that, but it was just like a, a waiting game for me where I just had to be patient and, you know, whatever's bound to happen for me would happen for me. But like getting over there, met a lot of different people. Uh, it wasn't all about just football. It's all about like, Real life situations, what to do when you when you get in the NFL, how to go about things like 
taking care of your finances, managing your money, like when you retire from your NFL career, have something to show for it financially. And also like, you know, meeting different uh, players from different countries. I mean, not countries, but uh, different schools all over the country that, you know, on the same path as me or maybe on a different path, but like very similar. But it was definitely an experience and got to be coached by NFL coaches for the time being, learned a lot. And I say it was a great time. Yeah, that's awesome. And the East West Shrine Bowl, a lot of kind of just we have it on the screen, the 99th annual. It's, it's been kind of an institution throughout this NFL draft process. Did you kind of get any feedback on your game or anything like that throughout that process and things that you're now really working on as you begin kind of this final NFL draft prep push? Yeah, I mean, I'll say one thing about it, like when it comes to game, like, you know, you can always have something to work on, got some feedback, you know, things that they like about my game, things that they feel like I should improve. And, but well, like on a positive note, like a lot of people that I spoke to, especially like teams and stuff, they really like what they see on film. And then in the practices, then I had to, you know, showcase my talent, my ability. They seen that in practice, so they really like what they see in practice. So I just took care of business, controlled the things I control, and I just let the rest take care of itself. Yeah, you mentioned the the tape standing out, 20 and a half tackles for loss, 11 sacks this season. Coming into the year, did you think you could have this level of success? I guess, what were your expectations for yourself, um, especially was, with, with Uku going in the portal? Yeah, I mean, like, with with Uku Isaac going in the, in the portal, like, I wanted to play with him, especially for my last year, because Isaac is like a brother to me. But he made his decision that was best for him in his career. But in the day, one thing about this game of football is that uh, the train has to keep on going, and you know the show don't stop for anybody. The show must go on. But I feel like for me, like going to my my final year of college football, going to my final year, which is my second year at JMU, I had like to go in mind that based on what I did like first year is to go into the following year, turn up to a whole different level, build off the good, and then. Uh, just elevate and grow even as a player. I had goals in mind, but I didn't expect for the goals to be like this. Like, <laughs> for my goals, I pre the goals I had for the season, like, with the end result after the season uh, ended for me, I just pretty much shattered everything and just kept it going. Yeah, that, that, that defensive line as a whole, that unit seemed to crush a lot of kind of goals that we were talking with Jalen Green earlier, and he said, I was going for just 10 sacks. I just wanted double digits, and he went out there and he had more sacks than UVA did as a, as a whole team on the season. But what was it about the defensive line that made you guys so dominant this year? And then also ever since you jumped into the FBS from that FCS level, because you guys stopped the run, you did everything so well. What made the defensive line such a strong point for that JMU team? I'll say one thing, one thing for sure is like you got to have the players because the players are the ones who's on the field playing. And but I say it really started with uh, Coach Pat Coons. You know, great leader, great coach, best D-line coach I ever had in college because the player I am today is because of him. He helped me along the way in, like, so many aspects of my game grow from one level to another. But, like I said, it was the players' fault, but it really started with Coach Pat Coons, like, him being a leader, him knowing how to control the room, him having standard for us at the D-line and just, like, not be satisfied with complacent and just keep it going. Was there anything he changed in tech for you or anything like that that helped you have sort of the success you had under him? I'd say, like, you know, one thing about a coach in general, regardless of how great of a player you are, the coaches see some things you that you may not see in yourself, but the coach is there to, like, get that out of you so that you 
what the coach been seeing you that you haven't seen yourself for the time being, later on you get to see it for yourself. That's awesome. As you gear up for for NFL draft things, is there, is there anything you're really looking forward to through the process? Something that you've you've really enjoyed as you prepare, and uh, do you, what are your expectations come come all of that kind of big time stuff later on? Uh, I'll say like I look forward like to everything. Everything's a process. You want to get one shot at this. So I've just been taking one day at a time, enjoying, doing what I have to do, don't put too much of myself. But I would say, like, there's one thing that I'm definitely looking forward to is um, draft day, but we're a long time for a uh, draft day because, you know, I have to keep on training. I just got done with the Eastman Shrine Bowl All-Star game, and now it's like, unfortunately, I didn't get the invite to the NFL Combine, but now it's like the next thing for me, the next phase within this process is the pro day. But definitely looking forward to the draft because I know that it's going to be a great day for me and my family. Yeah, you mentioned the the process is kind of a long one with months yeah. of training in, until the draft. Where are you training? What's that look like for you for the next couple months? So right now, I'm in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, the facility that I'm training at is X3. And I've just been here for, you know, over a month. Recently, I've just been at Texas for the East West Shrine, uh, Shrine Bowl All-Star game. So I was in Texas for like like over a week. But now I'm back in Florida getting back to business. I love it. And speaking of business, we got to go back to your this last year at JMU. You got any favorite sacks, any favorite moments from this past year that stick out to you? Uh, I'll say definitely when I had a game-winning sack in UVA uh, late in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. I'll say uh, the sack I had against Coastal Carolina, the strip sack, which led to my 11th sack of the season. And also us as a D-line breaking the Sun Belt uh, season of sack record. That's a crazy D line. You guys barely rotated too. I was curious what that was was like that you had so many great defensive linemen, but um, not not a ton of rotation going on in there. What was it like to play as many snaps as you did this year and still produce throughout a full game? I'll say one thing about it: when you know you're going to be in a situation like that, you have to stay on top of everything, like stay on top of your body, stay on top of like your playbook, stay on top of like your game plan, like every phase of preparation that is there within. You have to stay on top of it because this was a situation and the team, the team like needs you to like get the job done. Other players need you to get the to get the job done. But like, you know, situations happen like with Abby and his injury, then Jay uh Jay Green have his injury late, way later in the season, and then like other guys, they was going through their own little issues. It's just like just be available, take care of body so that um you're able to like to do what you need to do to help the team win. And, and now kind of looking ahead, you're kind of in, in our shoes almost where you'll be watching JMU next year as a fan and, and any free yeah. time you may have throughout the year. You, who do you expect to step up? We saw Amar Thomas have some some big reps later on in the season, Tyreek Tucker. Uh, yeah. But is there anyone that you're, you're expecting to have a big season that us JMU fans might not necessarily be keyed in on as of right now? I'll say, like, if you want to talk about D-line, like, obviously, Amar Thomas and Tyreek Tucker – like Omar Thomas, he stepped up, and Tyree Tucker, he been stepping up, playing in multiple roles and just uh, growing as a player. So this this was a good year for him. But I say definitely like the the young guys in the room that um, that I was with last year, I want for those guys to step up. Just want to see where the growth is as a player because you know some of the guys, say for example, like Daryl, like uh, he's a guy that you know as young but has potential but i feel like once he starts learning and starts getting more he's gonna have a chance to really play on the field and really contribute but definitely looking forward to anybody that's in that d-line room from last year even to this year like 
just like continue the the, the the tradition because like James Madison, even though it's winning a powerhouse, winning program, winning tradition, but D-Lon is well known. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big time. I was curious, I guess, last question for me, that the Air Force game, you guys obviously had so many sacks prior to that. Uh, Air yeah. Force Air Force isn't throwing the ball a whole lot. What was it like to prepare and play a triple option attack as a defensive lineman? I'll say with our uh, defensive coordinator who was just coaching us for the bowl game, unfortunately, we didn't have Coach uh, uh, Coach Haynes as our D.C. due to, like, other coaches going to Indiana. But the one thing that our, uh, our defensive coordinator for the uh, Air Force game, uh, Coach Oliver, he just told us, like, you know, the defense, his going to have, like, a couple plays, but it's, like, never get bored doing your job. That's the number one thing that he told us, like, that whole time, never get bored doing your job because, like, Sometimes you watch the film, it's like they run the same thing. You're telling your fingers how many times they throw in the ball, but it's like never get bored doing the job. Yeah, makes that, sense. Yeah. It must be not fun. As a as a fan, it must be not fun playing a triple option team. Nah, because it's like it's, you have to like really not get bored doing your job and you have to stick <laughs> to your job. And it's like if you don't take care of your job, then that's when gadgets can happen and it could go for like a big run. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you certainly, uh, you did that. I think you had a season high eight tackles in the game. So you, yeah, was... yeah, I did. <laughs> so they kept it coming. They career highs in the in the uh, with the tackles, like yeah, me, Aiden Fisher, who's yeah. got Indiana, like definitely a lot of guys hit some numbers. <laughs> yeah, I think Aiden had like seventeen tackles in that game or something, just yeah. stupid. Yeah, high. and he crushed his goal because him telling me what his goal was for the season. It was like over – he said he wanted to get like 100 tackles, and he ended up getting like over 100 tackles. Yeah. So, goal well accomplished for him. Yeah, he yeah. would have had like – if he played a triple option every week, he would have finished the year with like 200 <laughs> tackles or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he would have been putting up – what was it, Jason Henderson at ODU? He put up like 190 yeah. tackles this yeah. last year. <laughs> he would have been – He'd be putting up Jason Henderson numbers, but yeah. uh, Jamery, thank you so much for for taking the time out of your day. Good luck in your your preparation down in Fort Myers, and uh, we hope to be be writing about you a little bit more come NFL Draft Day. All right, thanks for having me. Thank you. Awesome, dope stuff. You know, talking with Jalen Green, talking now with Jamery, um, even Phoenix Sproles, I, I feel like JMU is going to miss some of these coordinators. Yeah, big time coordinators that were in position coaches that were doing some great stuff. I think they were placed with some good ones. Yeah. But uh it's it's crazy because I was I was thinking about this the other day. Um before the Shrine Bowl and part of why we had uh Jamry on, I was doing like a mock draft or whatever, right? And I got to the later rounds and like he started appearing on like the best players available thing. And I was like, whoa. Like I didn't even I thought all this time about Jalen Green, but didn't realize quite how many tackles for loss, 20 plus for Chroma, double digit sacks, how well he played. And then also the fact that he's like 6'4, 270, 275. Like, yeah, of course he's going to have some NFL interest. Yeah, he finished his JMU career with 14 and a half sacks, vast majority of those coming this last year, 26 yeah. TFLs, 20 of those coming this last season. He really turned it on this year and was, I think, an unsung hero for that defensive line. We talked all the time about Jalen Green. Kamara, even up interior with James Carpenter. We didn't we didn't really mention Chroma a ton this last season, but I think he was kind of the, the key cog in that line. Jalen Green was putting up the gaudy numbers and was getting in the backfield and doing, you know, sensational things. But a, a big reason I think Jalen Green was able to do a lot of what he was able to do was 
what Jamry Cromon, even Mikel Camaro were doing on the other side of the line. Third on the team in tackles with 60 on the defensive line. He picked up eight of those against Air Force, too. That's an that's a lot of tackles for a D lineman. Yeah, that's crazy. But then to also have that many tackles for loss. So he was making a lot of disruptive plays. He has great size, right? Obviously started his career at a power five program in Rutgers. So he had some, you know, credibility, I guess you could say, coming out of high school. So yeah, everything about his bio makes him seem like he could be a, a late round pick for sure. Yeah, very excited. So he'd be the first draft pick since Ben DiNucci. Been a while. And then I think even, I guess, depending on Green and where he is with his health, I think could also maybe go in the late rounds or just undrafted if he if he goes undrafted. Yeah. Yeah. If I was if I was a guessing man, I would think Jalen Green would go undrafted, but has the potential to make a team very happy with that undrafted signing. It's almost like what happened with Rondell Carter a few years ago, where when you're getting in the later rounds, it's almost better for you to be an undrafted free agent because you can pick the situation yeah if you have that ability and you can also negotiate a higher salary to start which is what happened with rondell carter he actually started yeah. making more money uh when he got signed as an undrafted free agent than he would have if he was drafted in the seventh round but uh jmu i don't know if ever they've had multiple draft picks in the same draft that's a good question let me look that up thank you i can hear you type 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 in a way no, you don't have to mute. It's fine. <laughs> it's all good. Let's but see. I'm trying to think since since I've really become a fan, we've had Jimmy Moreland, Ben DiNucci, and then you've had Aaron Stinney make it to the league. Uh, Josh Wells, Earl Watford, a little bit before my time, they made it to the league. Uh, but I don't think there's been a time, at least there's been two times that they've had multiple draft picks. 97? Oh, the year I was born. Macy Brooks and Ed Perry. Oh, those were the two I was going to guess. Yep. Uh huh. And then 2010, Arthur really? Motes and Scotty McGee. Both oh, okay. Sixth round. So they've, I don't think they've ever, they've, I guess they had Gary Clark was a second round pick way, way back. But um, recent history, they haven't had anybody go third round or earlier. I'm not expecting that to happen, but yeah, they could potentially get two in or at least one this year. And I think being at the FBS level makes it more realistic that they're going to start sending dudes at a consistent clip, I guess, depending on the portal. But yeah, and I, I think with being the, at the FBS level, you'll now get like those like people taking flyers out on like yes. a seventh round, sixth round guy. Where in an FCS, the flyers an undrafted pick, you're going undrafted and, and signing and hoping you make a 53 man. Now you're there, like, like you see it all the time. You're watching the draft on day three and you're like, why did they just pick an interior offensive lineman from Western Kentucky? Right. <laughs> right. It's like they've got <laughs> a little more tape at a slightly higher level and it helps. A, a ton. Yeah. Helps a ton. But uh, I guess we'll start then just going into some football stuff. There's a few uh, things around the football universe we want to monitor. Not a ton has happened in the JMU football world since our last podcast last Monday. I think the biggest thing is your awesome article you put out earlier today on JMUSportsNews.com highlighting JMU trying to get a little bit of a foothold in Texas. Doing some Texas recruiting. Uh, Anthony DeMichael, Coach DeMichael, who I've been calling Coach Anthony D. Michelle. So that was too. that was a hilarious awakening for me <laughs> talking to a Texas high school coach. And I was like, yeah, I guess Coach D. Michelle was there. He's like, Coach DeMichael was in fact here. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm an idiot. But anyway. Well, I don't think you're an idiot. Let's talk about it for a second. His name is D-I-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. I feel like people know that that was DeMichael. But anyway. <laughs> I thought it's D. Michelle too. That is classic <laughs> We might both just be idiots. But anyway, I'll join you in the idiotic, t- yeah. 
talked to two high school coaches in Texas that he visited rave reviews. Sounds like he's looking at some, some players there, but I just thought it was interesting because the previous staffs hadn't really even considered Texas, but uh, coach DeMichael recruited Texas uh, while he was at Holy Cross. So some leaning on some relationships from there and maybe they'll get some, some commits. You got the real signing day, I guess here on Wednesday, February 7th, uh, Heath McCree, a wide receiver from Texas is going to commit tomorrow, Tuesday, I think like noon local time for him. So one o'clock Eastern one or two here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's down to three and Jamie is one of the three. So. Yeah. So if you are listening to this and he has already committed elsewhere, just uh, you can fast forward the next 45 seconds. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out because what our guy Ben says all the time is if you could kind of start getting that pipeline where you can get a guy from a high school into your school. And I believe he's at a wide receiver hotbed. That's always a big deal. Yeah. Nice to, nice to expand. I think it speaks to JMU's recent, recent sort of national surge that they can go to other States and they have a little more credibility. The coaches I was talking to were like, yeah, we know, like we know about JMU. And then I asked about the the players and one of the coaches like, that's yeah, a little more of a learning curve, right? Well, kind of anyone outside of like major power five, they got to do a little bit of research, but yeah, um, if the coach is interested and, and they're not getting Alabama offers, then they'll, They'll do the research that's needed. <laughs> so here's the question for you. When you make your EA Sports College football 24 game and you're setting up road to glory, you know, you can like choose the pipeline states you have. Is Texas going to be one of them? I think I'll, I'll make it a pipeline. Okay. I'm, I'm going to stick to the East Coast and really focus in on that and really try to develop homegrown talent. But that game is becoming more of a reality where it might actually be very cool for college football fans not just JMU fans, but across the country, but specifically for JMU. They'll be in the game scheduled tentatively, I believe, to come out in the summer of 2024. So we'll, we'll see. There hasn't been a ton of recent info on that. But yes, a previous Daily News record report confirms in 2022 that JMU would be in the game. They'd also have a lot of quote-unquote video and audio assets um, related to JMU that were at least submitted by JMU to potentially be in the game, including the fight song start wearing purple, some other things like that. We reached out to Kevin Warner about that briefly, and he also mentioned uh, they sent information about the streamer tradition, which would be very cool if the A Sports went above and beyond to include that. Don't know that they will. <laughs> um, but you can also, kind of like they sent a bunch of different uniform combos. Um, so you can usually, at least in the old games, you could switch out uniforms and and do some cool stuff. So we'll, have a, we'll write up some of that, but I think that'll be pretty darn cool. First thing I do, put on the black jerseys, App State, at home, and I run up the score. <laughs> <laughs> Just some good old-fashioned revenge, baby. I love that. You got to post that. On, uh, <laughs> you got to do it and then post it. People would really get to enjoy that. Just blowing off some steam. You know, that meme on, on Twitter. After <laughs> your team, Just blowing off some steam. 100 to zero. <laughs> Take that. Good stuff. That's how you do it. Uh, anything else in the football world? Two things. There's, I guess, the early stages of this Dartmouth unionization case that's worth monitoring. I think just about the future of college athletics, but I don't know how quick that'll actually um, take place. But I could see the NCAA being destroyed here in the near future. So <laughs> worth see uh, the whole the whole system crumbling down in the next 48 hours. I'm interested with the new athletic director, whoever that ends up being sort of their view on like, is there any scenario where if schools have athletes as employees, JMU would like be down for that? Or are they going to go to whatever lower level is well below that? 
Yeah, I also saw Dartmouth doesn't give out scholarships. Right. So that kind of makes the situation a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I think the fact that they're considering them almost like union employees, even without scholarships, <laughs> is interesting. So I, yeah, we'll see what happens with with that. But interesting to monitor. And the other thing that uh, we didn't have in the outline, but maybe the football story of the week. Truly, We're going Bob off Chesney, the rails. Bob We're going off the rails. Was, Bob Chesney was almost a Boston College guy. Didn't we talk about this last week? I don't think so. Oh yeah, Did he we? wasn't. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about this. No, because I think it came out Tuesday night. I was yeah. I was at my yes, I was at my apartment. I recorded last Monday at Eva's apartment. Here's the thing: people saying that it was stupid for JMU fans to think that he could have gone. These might be fighting words, but I think you're stupid if you think I'm <laughs> stupid for thinking that like there was no chance Bob Chesney was gonna go. And and I'm very glad that it turned out that I was wrong. I love being wrong Allegedly. in cases like this. Allegedly. Well, no, it's not allegedly. He did say it. He said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be a, did he say it or did sources tell it to people that he said it? Okay. That's a fair point. Have they hired anyone yet? I don't think they're going to hire Bob Chesney. I agree with you. They're, they're not going to hire Bob Chesney. He pulled his name out of the running, but he was a very popular name to watch all of this year because Boston college's head coach, his seat was hot all year somehow avoided being fired and then he kind of then and just burned boston college by choosing to go become the green bay packers defensive coordinator really late in the game and if here's the funny thing this is like the butterfly effect if they had fired their head coach boston college around the same time syracuse was looking even when we were looking as jmu fan like bob chesney would have likely been at boston college I think he would have been a top choice for sure. <laughs> and so, and yeah. who would have like and, and they would have just the butterfly effect of that? Insane. But yes, Bob Chesney could have been a candidate. I mean, according to Brandon Marcello of I believe 24-7 sports, he was on their list. Chris Vanini had it too. Like right when it opened, like very credible reporters were putting out um that you that Chesney was a candidate for the job. Yeah. Daniel Merriman, Bob Chesney's buyout is smaller than a major power five quarterback <laughs> NIL deal. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a small buyout. Sub two million, yeah. I think it's 1.75 if he had gone before even coaching a game at JMU. Would have been electric. <laughs> Honestly, I would have hated it, but there's also this cynic in me that would have loved to watch it just like the craziness ensue. But I think a good a good primer for JMU fans that like this is going to happen a lot in the Bob Chesney era, I would think. Given his age, previous success, like general bubbly personality, Power Fives will probably be very interested if he does anything of note. I've never heard someone describe a football coach's personality as bubbly. It's just feel, <laughs> like, you know how Signetti had sort of that like cranky old guy thing where like yeah. you got to win a lot. I feel like to get power five attention, we're like, you're older. You're maybe a little more disagreeable in a fun way, I think, from from our lens, but um, maybe not from like a donor lens where yeah. Chesney is like, if you could like do right, you're on NC 14, you're building your like model football coach. Yeah. He checks a lot of boxes. He does. Yeah. Kurt Signetti. I'm going to miss those DMs at, at midnight. I hope EA Sports properly does the Kurt Signetti sideline walk. And I'll just say that. I hope that they have that in the game. <laughs> With the hands behind the back. <laughs> back out. 
<laughs> really, really protruding his stomach. He lost a lot of weight during his time at JMU. So that 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 stance got a little bit less pronounced each year. That's true. Uh, all right, so that's all football <laughs> talk. We'll end on the Kurt Signetti patented walk. That brings us over to uh, the Atlantic Union Bank Center where JMU men's basketball completed a perfect 2-0 week against the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers where they absolutely embarrassed Coastal Carolina on Thursday. And then a little bit of a weird game against ODU on Saturday, but the Dukes pulled away in the second half, really made it no contest. And they continue to beat up on really bad teams, which has become kind of the mantra of this year for JMU. Yeah, those those are bad basketball teams. I thought ODU had a nice first half and then faded pretty significantly. Coastal was maybe the worst basketball team I've watched in a good amount. Of, like they were tremendous. That was bad. That was like I, – I was at a Billy Jack's happy hour uh, for the Charlotte alumni chapter when the game started, and I just kind of had it up at the Billy Jackson Charlotte and every now and then I'd look and I'm like, Oh, they're leading by 10 now. Oh, they're leading by 20 now. Oh, they're leading by. Okay. And then I got home, turned the game on and I was just like, Oh, they're up by 50. It Literally. Was it was bad. Did, could but you take won. anything away from that coastal game or was it just an absolute utter <laughs> blowout that meant nothing? Dunk fest. They had fun. I thought the crowd was into it. That was cool, but it doesn't, I don't know that it means a whole lot. What about the ODU game? I don't know if even that one means a whole. They're doing what they need to do, which is beating bad teams at home. That one was a little weird because bigger staff was like kind of sick, I guess, but looked fine in the second half. So they started Horton. Horton was phenomenal. 17 points, 10 boards. Friedel was awesome. I thought Terrence Edwards took some questionable shots, but still ends the game shooting 50% with double <laughs> figures. Like picking some nits with him. Like he, he's pretty good he, at basketball. Well, he's kind of Terrence Edwards. I have two questions. I have three things I want to shoot at you. Okay. Are you ready for these? Okay. All right. First, Terrence Edwards, is he still the Sunbelt player of the year leader? I haven't looked at enough stats to see who else might be in the mix. Okay. Terrence Edwards. Does he take bad shots a lot? I think it's sometimes. And then I also think that because he's had two bad games against App that some of his stuff is going like more under a microscope where like against coastal, he was seven for 10 and had 16 points in 22 minutes, like played very well, but he didn't have as many dunks as Bickerstaff. So it wasn't like he got credit for that game. It was more like Bickerstaff. Wow. <laughs> so like, he's had a few performances like that where he's played pretty well. Um, but he's, he's struggled a little bit in conference play. And I think some of that is shot selection. I think some of that is him forcing stuff. And I think some of that, is he's like by far the best offensive creator the Dukes have, which puts a little bit of pressure on him because who else is creating those shots on their own? Not really anybody. Yeah, I think that's the kind of issue. When when he's on, I don't think it's a question of that he's the best player in the Sun Belt. He can do every shot on the court, and he can make it look easy when he's on. The issue is when he's off, you then you then it seems like coaching does one of two things with him when he's off. It's either they continue to give him the ultra green light and and try to have him keep creating and doing his things, specifically by driving into the lane and trying to get into the paint and get those shots. Or I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's Edwards. I don't know what it is. But then sometimes he becomes a facilitator and really elevates the offense. When he becomes that 
continuing to drive ultra green light guy who's just not having it tonight, which is what he was in the first half against ODU. The whole team takes a step back because it seems like each possession is then magnified because that possession is going to end in a bad shot. Like when you're playing 2K, my player, and you take a contested three and it says bad shot selection and your teammate grade goes from A to a C plus, like sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes he just has to make that pass. Yeah, I think they got to find a way to to do that. If you're going off of Ken Palm, his all-conference team, he has Terrence Edwards as the uh, player of the year. I think Trayvon Spillers for App actually has a decent case. He's played pretty well for them. Six man. Uh, and uh, does he really come off the bench? I'm pretty sure, yes. He's got elite stats, though. Like, <laughs> And if they win the league, that's tough because he comes off the bench but like puts up numbers. that would. I, I think nice. he comes off the bench in the way that he plays like starter minutes. Got it. That'd be tough though. Kind of tough <laughs> to be like conference player of the year is a start. So I don't know. I feel like Edwards is still maybe that guy and he's, he's definitely needs to take, I think some better shots. Some of it too, is he was shooting lights out from three in non-conference and he's probably not like a lethal three point shooter. I think he was shooting over 40%. Yeah. And now he's probably down to like 33. Yeah. Shooting 34% yeah. from three on the season now. The whole team, though, just came back to earth in terms of shooting the three, which is a big reason why their offensive efficiency, specifically against Southern Miss and App twice, was so abysmal in those losses. Uh, But my third question is, Bickerstaff, should we be worried that he is sick a lot? I don't know what the deal is with that. It's a question that I have and has gone (laughs) largely unanswered, I think. Yeah. It was floated that he needs like IVs before a lot of games. And then he missed, he, he wasn't even warming up for the, he didn't even come out with the team. He didn't come out until the first half had already started for the ODU game. Yeah. And then look right in the second half. It looked fantastic. So I don't know what the, what the illnesses are or what, but he seems to be battling through it, but it changes them pretty significantly when he's able to play and looks healthy yeah when he looks healthy they i think they are by far the best team in the Sun Belt. and i know if you're an app state fan listening to this one how'd you find this podcast two like he was off on both of those games was he off because you know he's going up against justin absin and you know that's the best arguably the best shot blocker in the entire nation or was he off because he was getting ivs and he was legitimately 60 percent? i don't know and i think we're gonna need a third game to figure this one out I think that's fair. Going back to Edwards briefly, he had one, back. one, two, two games, two games, sub 35% shooting in non-conference play. So pretty much, you know, the majority of non-conference games, he's over 35% shooting. He's had one, two, three, four at 35% or worse in conference play, which is what, 11 games? Yeah. So far, like a third of of conference games, he's been um, sub 35% in, from the floor. Yeah, can I go out on a limb and say that of the four, three of them have been losses? He shot 42% in the first app game, first actually, half game. and 39% oh, wow. in the second. So- I think the issue there, though, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, those are two of his three highest – um shooting games just in volume so he took he's taken 44 shots this year against app 
He's 18 of 44. Like that's a ton of shots. So if you're like 40%, it's a little above 35, like the made up threshold I came up with, but it's not like, you know, if you're shooting 25 times and you're taking a lot of twos and you're shooting 42%, it's not Apple take that. Fair. All right. That brings us to this week's three notched weekly preview presented by three notch Valley collab house in Harrisonburg, Virginia. This week, the Dukes have a home game and an away game. They're starting with their away game. Uh, Arkansas State, the most potent offense in the Sun Belt. One of the worst defenses in the country. The Red Wolves this year, they are 10 and 13, 6 and 5. However, they are 5 and 1 at home in conference play this season. Coached by Brian Hodgson. He is a disciple from the, oh, what's his name? Alabama's head coach. Nate Oates. Nate Oates. He was an assistant with Nate Oates on that Crimson Tide staff from 2019 to 2023. This is his first year as a head coach, and he started the year two and seven, but since then has seemingly started to figure some things out. Uh, The offense runs through DeAndre Dominguez, Caleb Fields, and Taryn Todd. But, I mean, the offense has been... Super, super good for the Red Wolves. The defense has been super, super bad. What are you expecting to see in Jonesboro, Arkansas? Yeah, I'm mostly excited to talk about John Gross and Akron here. We get to him in a second, but uh, <laughs> the, I right, think this completely go over the game that actually matters this week. I think this will uh, this will be a fun one, right? Because it's a conference game. This is sadly, embarrassingly, perhaps the toughest conference game remaining until the Sun Belt Tournament for JMU, which is absurd because Arkansas State is 10 and 13. So it shouldn't be. But Arkansas State, they can score a little bit. Like you mentioned, they're good at home. I think it'll be an interesting test. It's one that I feel like JMU will probably be okay in. Um, Arkansas State just really struggles defensively, which is an issue. They don't force a lot of turnovers. So if JMU takes care of the ball, theoretically gets a bunch of good looks, they should have a nice chance uh, to win this one. And I'm also really interested... Arkansas State gets a ton of their shots blocked. They yeah. play App State for the first time on March 1st to end the year. That one's like must-watch TV because they're going <laughs> to they might get like 15 shots blocked out of the gym. Yeah, JMU best defense in the Sun Belt, and it's not particularly close. Arkansas State best offense in the Sun Belt, and it's not particularly close. But in this type of game, I'm going to go with JMU's defense to shut down the Red Wolves because I don't think Arkansas State has seen a defense as good as JMU so far this season. They have yet to meet App State. So uh, I think it's going to be a really, really important game that should be fun. I think it'll be, prevailing. it'll be great. Arkansas State's in-conference offensive efficiency is gross. Like they've been yeah. phenomenal shooting the heck out of the ball. They're shooting in conference play over 52% from two and then about uh, just below 40% from three. I mean, they've been really good offense you know what their effective field goal percentage is over 50 55 and we keep we keep ragging on jmu but some of the recent performances they're now second uh in the sunbelt in what offensive efficiency and league play yeah. yeah could be a shootout yeah uh arkansas state though you don't often see <laughs> big of a discrepancy jmu's the second best offense in the league with a, an offensive rating of uh 109.8 Arkansas State is a whole 10 points better at 119. You don't see that type of gap between one and two often. 
No, but then the defensive gap is electric. JMU leading the conference in, in defensive efficiency, 91.7. Arkansas State dead last, 112.3. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be a fun one because Arkansas State can score. So if JMU has one of those games, which feels like every league game, where they're ice every cold from three, yeah. yeah, it could actually be an interesting one. I don't think an upset is out of the out of the realm of possibility here. I actually think if I was a betting man, if I if this was if this was March twelfth, you know, the day after sports betting becomes legalized in North Carolina, sure. I think I would bet Arkansas State to win, like a, a little like one dollar bet. <laughs> I like that's bold. <laughs> well, probably because they're gonna be like plus three fifty. Yeah, that I think Jamie is only gonna be like a five point favorite or something based on what Ken Palm had. Yeah. So. All right. So drum roll, please. On Saturday, the Dukes welcome in John Gross and the Akron Zips. They're 17 and 5, 9 and 1 in MAC action. Gross is in his seventh season as the head man. And per Ken Palm, this is the second best Zips team he has ever coached. A few names to keep an eye on Enrique Freeman and Ali Ali. If you listen to our preview, kind of talking about the state of the Sun Belt with our friend, uh, Nick Lorenzen from Mid-Major Madness. He mentioned Ali Ali. He he was really high on this Akron team. And then they're good. They are 90th in Ken Palm as of right now, as of recording. And they have a really good defense. It, it might be the best defense that JMU has faced all year. App State presented its problems because they block so many shots. But, I mean, if you're talking kind of pure great defense, this Akron team is better than that App State team. So it's a, it's a good thing that JMU gets this game at home because offensively they have been much, much better at home than they have been away, but they match up well defensively. They should be able to slow down JMU's defense. This is a big time game in the net, a quad two opportunity for JMU. And they haven't had as much success against quad one and two as they have against quads three and four. Battle of the frauds. People are saying battle of the frauds. A lot of people are uh, not me. But I feel like people, it's you. I feel a like lot of it's people you. are saying this, and I want to find the specifics here to make sure that I have it. But when you look at an Akron team, I feel like you're the person saying this is the battle of the frauds. They are one and four against quad one and two, 14 and one against three and four. JMU, you're looking very similar here. Not as bad. Two and one against the <laughs> first two quads, but then you're looking at 17. They got a couple, uh, Quad three losses. 15-0 JMU, though, against quad four. Beating up on quad four. Akron also loves to beat up on quad four. Well, I got bad news for both teams. You're playing top 100 Ken Palm teams. It's going to be a test. It's going to be a nice win for whoever gets it. The bummer for JMU, based on the net, if I'm not mistaken, this is actually a quad three win because it's a home game and how how weird the, uh, the net is. So that kind of stinks. That's a bummer. Akron, it would be like quad two and like fringe. Actually, I think it might be. It might be quad one. Quad one because it's a true road game. It might actually be quad one um, for them. So the, the road team has a lot bigger sort of quote unquote opportunity here. Um, but neither of them, especially Akron, doesn't really have an at-large case. But a big chance for them. Big opportunity for both teams. All right. Can I float something by you again? Yeah. JMU wins out. Lose in the Sunbelt Championship. We still saying no to an at-large? Good question. So I reached out to resident bracketologist Dave Omen. He um, he's bracket guy Dave on Twitter. <laughs> Followed him for a few years now. DM'd him today asking if Jamie went undefeated in the regular season, what he would think. 
He was saying he thinks JMU would likely be on the at-large board for consideration, but losing twice to App State hurts because they may not have a regular season title. That's sort of an extra nugget for being deserving. Uh, he also mentioned the non-conference strength of schedule well over 300 makes it a tough ask. Things would probably have to fall together very well for him, but we'll know a little more a month from now. I'm not ruling it out. I've got. Right. Lot, I'm, this is me saying that, not bracket oh, guy. Okay. Dave. I thought bracket guy. I thought bracket guy <laughs> Dave came out of the cup. That's, I'm not ruling it out. That's me. I'm still believing because it's fun to believe that they can get in. I also like really struggle to see like what what would it be at that point of 30 and four team not making it in. The issue is the schedule is like oh it's worse than we've been saying it is. Like it gets progressively worse the longer the year goes on. Yeah, Kent State is now 172 in. Uh, and Ken Palm. They're 11 and 11, and they've got one, two, three, four, six home losses, right? We were talking at the beginning of the year, like, it's so hard to win at Kent State. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> we broke them. We broke them. Southern Illinois, 111. Fresno State, 197. It's hilarious looking at JMU's schedule this season because all of their wins are against really bad teams, and then you just have Michigan State in there. Yeah, the Michigan State one helps, but the fact that they haven't done a whole... Well, I mean, like the Louisiana game, we don't talk about it at all. It looks like, on paper, it looks a lot better than the Kent State game right now. Yeah, Louisiana 120 in Ken Palm, a seven-point win on the road in a tough environment. That might be their best... Not, not, sorry, that's not a might. That is their best conference win this season. Well, the other crazy thing right now, you look at Ken Palm, Arkansas State has a better ranking than Kent State. That would, like, on paper be a better victory if they get it on Wednesday than the Kent State game. And we thought the Kent State game would be, like, a quad one. Like, a a fringe (laughs) quad one game. And it is turning out just to be a run-of-the-mill, double-overtime, quad four road win. I don't think it's quite quad four, but it's... I think it is. No, the the quads are pretty generous for the road. Okay, okay. But I don't. I haven't looked at Kent State's. Where's their? Yeah, they're one seventy five. That's they're low. Like, Kent State's eleven eleven. I guess they got two non D one wins. Oh my bad. god! <laughs> oh, but I forgot what what our initial. It's topic a big was. week ahead. It is. We were talking with our friend Dom, and and I want to workshop it here through the podcast because he said, "What, what was he saying?" that this team has done nothing this season and then arbitrarily used like December 4th at 4 p.m. as the cutoff? I think he would. Well, this is fair. The schedule was kind of front-loaded where you get Michigan State, Southern Illinois, Kent State, and you thought maybe Fresno State wouldn't suck. So it seemed like they accomplished a lot in the first like six games of the year uh, compared to really not accomplishing (laughs) that much on paper the last whatever that is, 16. So are you worried about the team? Because I'm not worried about them because they're playing who they got to play. Oh, yeah, that's some that is some coach speak. You can only play the teams on your schedule. Well, okay, but it's it's a little different. It's not like they beat Coastal by like four at home. You know what I mean? They yeah, I mean they are like forty. They are blowing teams out, which yeah, is why really... their net is so much better than App State's net. Yes, they have a really good like predictive metrics. And then App State fans conveniently love to leave out that they've lost like four games to teams that just aren't that good. They're like we beat Auburn. That's actually better than beating Michigan State. Like, well, I love play Auburn at home. I, that's my favorite thing when they're like, <laughs> oh, we beat Auburn, you beat Michigan State. It's like, yes, but ours was on the road. Yeah, which is critically important when you're <laughs> comparing, especially in a year where it's been so hard for teams to win on the road. 
But what I was getting at with bringing up Dom was I think as JMU men's basketball fans, and if you disagree with me, Bennett, if you disagree with me, let me know after I say what I'm about to say. If you disagree with me and you're on the, the Twitter waves, let me know on Twitter. But I think we're all damaged by what the last seven years of men's basketball, more than seven years, but ever since I've become a fan, I think I've been very much damaged by the past. Every time it seemed like JMU was in a spot to – finally find momentum and build forward they've failed like you have great wins and then you just can't string it together you beat uva radford george mason and then all of a sudden the caa strips away any type of postseason games and then byington uses that as an excuse for why the team crumbled down the stretch like all of these things where it just seemed like they were poised to take the next step to me this feels like a spot where they are poised to take the next step. You go on the road and you hand Arkansas State a double-digit loss. Oh, Nelly, am I hype. I think that's a, a massive... Like, I don't know, it kind of feels like this week, not make or break for the team, but almost make or break for my, like, full level of belief. Like, if they yeah. go 2-0 this week, I'm all in on, like, they're making the NCAA tournament. They're winning an NCAA tournament game. I think the part that's interesting about this is like you look at a lot of the recent bracketologies. App State's in there, right? Because they're like leading the conference. Yeah, I've seen them a lot as a 12. Where yeah. like JMU has better predictive metrics and advanced metrics. Where like if they get in, that's the out, not the at-large, right? The automatic berth. They're looking like 11, 10, 11, 12. Like they're going to have an opening round matchup that is extremely winnable. Yeah. There's a lot on the line of just getting through the conference tournament. I think that's where my fear comes from is like, if I get my hopes up, you know, that could all be dashed and you're playing like a road NIT game against some, I don't know, Maryland. St. Bonaventure. Yeah. That's a good point. I, yeah, I just, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of seeding, if you're a top four seed, you get that double buy. So a loss in this game against Arkansas State. In the grand scheme of it all, really doesn't mean a lot, but it means a lot to us. It means a lot to our hearts because, man, if you go two and zero this week, I am I might be insufferable. <laughs> it's going to be interesting because I still think they're the best team in the league, but they're right now tied for third in the conference standings. Is Troy going to just crumble at any point? Yeah, Troy's got some. I was looking at it. Troy's got some games coming up that'll be that'll be tough. But they do have a uh, they have a win over App State this year. They're a solid team. But they uh, they've dropped a couple road games against teams that aren't all that good. And they've got they end the year similar to Jamie with four consecutive road games. Sorry, I'd expect in there maybe a little bit of a stumble. Jamie's strength of schedule this season is three hundred and thirty six. Yeah, that's what I'm like they haven't played anybody. <laughs> wow. That's not good. No, that's I don't I don't think they're gonna get that large. I think the schedule is so dreadful that they won't get it. Is this a nerd way to think about this men's basketball season too for me? If they can finish strong and have a high, like a, a top 80 net, I'm so excited about what that can do for the non-conference schedule. It should uh, barring an implosion, I feel like next year they're gonna have a, the ability to get some like real programs. Because they should be able to get some A-10 teams because the A-10 didn't go out and say to VCU and Richmond and Mason, don't schedule JMU, which it seems like some JMU fans have like gotten that thought in their mind that like they've gotten a direct 
order not to schedule them. No, the order from the A-10 was like, don't schedule bad non-conference games because we want to have a chance to be a three, four bid league as the Atlantic 10. And for the longest time, JMU's final net rating in a season was 150. And that is a game that A-10 had then told their teams not to schedule. So now if JMU can finish with a top 80 net, it's an advantageous game to schedule for the VCUs, the Richmonds, the Masons, everything like that. So I think if, if JMU can finish with a good net, you'll start seeing those games come back on the schedule and some more solid mid-major teams coming through the, the, uh, the Valley as well. Or maybe you can even get into one of those, what, early season tournaments that doesn't just suck. <laughs> like uh, not even the location, oh, but in a nice way, man. Maybe you can just not be trash. <laughs> no, I mean like the fact that they're playing Southern Illinois and Fresno State, and that's like you're clinging to that. It's like these could be huge. <laughs> and so well, in the Mac in the Sun Belt Mac Challenge, where it's like this can be massive, and it's like which I guess oh, binds it's completely soured on now. I don't. <laughs> I don't well, know. I guess he was thinking this would be a quad one or a quad two game, and now it's all of a sudden a quad three. But what did he – I don't know. They kind of just got screwed with Kent State being bad. I don't know why he's so mad about the Akron game at home not meaning – I don't know. But, or even if he is mad or if it's just sort of the, the way the quote reads on paper. But. Fair. Fair. All right. Uh, that's all for men's basketball. Want to take a minute to talk JMU women's basketball because it was a massive, massive win on the road against Marshall. Yeah. That, I was impressed. I gotta, you tell me about it. You're, I hear you typing away. What do you typing? I want to make sure I get her name right. <laughs> Whose name? The women's basketball head coach. Kim Shana Stevens. Reagan. Kim Stevens at Marshall. Talking a lot of a lot of praise for for Kim Stevens and what she's been able to accomplish. Uh, Kim Caldwell now. Sorry, Kim Stevens, who is now Kim Caldwell. <laughs> and I knew it didn't sound right in my head talking so much about Kim Caldwell. <laughs> Sean O'Regan. <laughs> <laughs> put on a show he said i've seen everything you can do i've seen your analytics your three-point shooting that's cute we're gonna run a zone we're gonna make you pass it to the middle of the zone try to hit some free throw jumpers we're gonna body you in the paint because you're small you're too small he basically went up to kim caldwell and said your team is too small and he was right stared her down said your team's too small it was correct and we're not going to talk about the fact that they lost on wednesday to georgia state by 10 because they bounced back against marshall phenomenal show that happened how does that happen? Georgia State's actually pretty decent, especially at home. So I could see it. But to go one-on-one was big. They've got a huge stretch coming up. South Alabama Wednesday at home. I think South Alabama is pretty terrible at basketball. You'll have to fact check me there. I don't know if they've won a conference game yet. But Ball State on the road Sunday, 2 o'clock, CBS Sports Network. Hello, national TV. That's a good one. against. That's the Sunbelt Mac Challenge. That's a tough road test. They got a lot of road games coming up here, but to win at Marshall kind of changes my whole perception. I think they could win the league now. I didn't think that before. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this team had four players in double figures. Kozlova led everyone uh, with 12. McDaniel put in 11. She did go 0 for 4 from 3, so good to see her get involved offensively when those threes aren't falling. Hazel, 10 points, and Heaven Bristow had 12 as well. Uh, four rebounds for Bristow. They had 37 defensive boards, eight offensive boards. Uh, Kozlova just bullied everyone going six of seven. Uh, and to pair that with Annalisha Goodman, seven points, that's 19 out of the big, the, the forwards. So, I mean, 
you you said it they're too small and they they really leaned on their size advantage in that game they did there were a couple points when i was watching i was like whoa you know a local elementary school kid got got lost on the court and has a marshall jersey on and got out there to play they looked so small at times and they didn't seem to have any adjustments marshall that I was, I was pretty surprised by it because JMU, one of eight from three, seven of 15 from the free throw line, that's subpar shooting, right? But then you 30, won by nine. Yeah, because they go 32 of 55, 58% on two-point shots. You mentioned it, all those rebounds, 45 rebounds. Just really good stuff. Super impressed with, with that. Did that fourth quarter worry you at all? I mean, they got outscored by eight in the fourth quarter. They went just four for 10 from the floor in the fourth compared to Marshall's eight of 16. Does that fourth quarter near implosion worry you at all? Or does the second and third quarter where they put up 47 points combined kind of quell the worries? Was never actually scary. They had a nice start to the quarter and then Marshall sort of chipped away as the game never really felt like it was uh, actually in doubt. So I thought they did a good job and avoided sort of any kind of meltdown, especially against a press that can be tough to do. But man, just an unbelievable defensive showing to make them shoot sort of contested threes against the zone, have them try to bring it inside, but not give them any easy layups. It was one where we had talked, right? Like JMU has incredible size and length for a mid-major women's basketball team. And it was cool to see Coach O like have them struggle against Marshall the first time. Be like, let's see how we can use our size and do it perfectly, I would say, in the second meeting on the road. Yeah. Uh, like you said, South Alabama on Wednesday at Ball State on Sunday, and then they go back in the middle of February with games against Georgia State and Coastal Carolina to finish out the home slate. Uh, from here on out, a, a not easy schedule because you still got ODU to finish out the year at ODU, uh, but a win against Marshall goes a long way to split that season series where you now are very much still in the running to win the regular season title. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it was impressive. It was really impressive in a variety of ways. That's is, is Beeman the leading rebounder. Uh, yep. Ross or 11 said Beeman is uh, their leading rebounder and she stands at a mighty five, four. That's what I was going to say though. When you have like five, four in the zone, like in the middle and then like Anna Goodman is there contesting. <laughs> it just doesn't look right. It's like, it's kind of like Terrence Edwards driving on Justin Abson, Annalisha Goodman, Justin Abson, probably better in this scenario with a five, four, I think Annalisa Goodman stands at five, nine, five, 10. She might be over six if I, or close to it, but it was whatever they are that they're, they've got great height across the board. What are they less Goodman at? Don't worry, folks. I'll find Dude. six, four. Six wow was I wow was I but then they've got they've got guards who are like Carol Miller's in there six feet tall Bristow six one so like you have guards that are why was I so no why was I in the five feet I that is so wrong that's that's okay (laughs) because you were confusing her with Bristow maybe who could say Peyton McDaniel six feet like it's just crazy to have like a star guard for someone catch the ball and then have Bristow be nine inches taller in the zone. Like it was really just, it was mind boggling almost at times to see and, and kind of make, yeah, Kozlova six, four, just incredible height that they used to, to dominate Marshall. That's a foot. That's a foot difference. Yeah. That is massive. So crazy. big things going for women's basketball back on the hype train should be a fun finish out to this season. And that brings us to everyone's favorite segment. News or snooze presented by Christopher William Jewelers. Bennett will give me three quotes or storylines and I'll say if they are newsworthy 
or snoozeworthy as we talk about them a little bit. Hit me with the first one, Bennett. All right. No quotes this week, but we got some storylines. Number, yeah, Number one, JMU leaves the Sun Belt. They have the best net ranking in both men's and women's basketball. I'll say that's newsworthy because they're only one of like seven programs in the yeah. country to have that. And like the other ones are like big time teams like UConn. Uh, so that is definitely newsworthy. And I think it shows that like their commitment in this last two, three, four, ever since hiring, buying, hiring Byington, really their commitment to basketball and the hardwood has start has paid off. What do you say to app state fans, men's basketball fans who are like net rankings, a joke. We beat you twice. There, I, I would be saying the same thing if we had beat App State twice. And as JMU fans, we were seeing them be higher in the net. However, you got to look at some of the facts, right? You lost to what four teams outside of the top one hundred in Ken Palm. Your best win is a is a win against Auburn, but it's at home, and that's your best win. JMU, while they have a terrible, terrible strength of schedule, they've dominated the teams they've needed to dominate, and their only bad loss on their resume right now is Southern Miss. It's a predictive yeah. metric. Like, it, it makes sense why JMU is higher in the net. Do I agree with it? Probably not. But if JMU and App State played for a third time, I'd put my money on JMU to win. Love that. Love that. I think that's fair. All right. Number two, App State is a 12th seed in the latest ESPN bracketology. Snooze worthy. Can it's I say a hot take? Because yeah. I think we I think this is one of the things we kind of differ on. I hate bracketologies. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate bracketology? They you are say bracketologists, the people, or bracketology? Yes. I'm, I'm telling bracket guy, Dave. <laughs> no, I, I just don't. I think it's so stupid. Why? It's never right. It's like a bowl game projection. Yeah, that's, I don't, They're I fun. didn't like those either. No, those I didn't like those. Oh, I also I really don't like mock fun. drafts. You just hate fun then. I just think it's stupid. I feel like you're about to hit us with some coach speak. Play the game that's in front of you. <laughs> you Focus already hit back. us with that. You already did that. Control the controllables. <laughs> I, already, I didn't say control the controllables. Yeah, that's. I just, like, okay, there are twelve in the latest ESPN bracketology. Okay, they're not ranked. They have no, a worse net than JMU. No, I meant more so. <laughs> mad about App State now. I meant more so like the fact that the Sun Belt champ is predicted to get like a twelve. You can still snooze because you hate bracketology. I guess I'm gonna hit. I'm gonna hit the snooze button. I'm excited about the possibility that JMU could be the 12-5 upset. It's cool. Long way to go, though. Long way to go. All right. Yes. I All just right. I think I've been burned one too many times by bracketology because JMU's like <laughs> what What's was that, that even mean? How do, get, how do you get burned by a bracketologist? Because they always, whenever JMU's leading the conference, they put oh, them oh, in as and you're I'm like, we're going to the tournament. <laughs> And we don't. <laughs> Some scar tissue there. Okay, that makes more sense. All right, third one. Julian Wooden, with 133 I, games played, has now played more games than any player in Jamie men's basketball history. I will say, before I react to that one, I enjoy bracketology for the at-large projections. I hate it for, like, the Sunbelt 
conference winner. <laughs> I hate I hate bracketology. First place. I hate yeah, exactly. What do you want him to do? <laughs> Predict who's gonna win it. Well, isn't that typically what your prediction would be? A lot of times the team that's best in the conference. No. They beat him twice already. You want a bracketologist to be like, no. I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, because like, I'm a Duke through and through. All right. All right. So this is going to be also a, kind of a, a, a mean take. Uh, I think it's snoozeworthy that Wooden had 133 games played. More than anyone ever. Yeah. I'm cool. That's more than LeBron played in college by 133 games. <laughs> yeah. But like, it, okay. He checked in 133 times. He's been fantastic these last few years. Let's focus on that. Like his growth as a player and he's being, has been awesome. It's also snoozeworthy because he did this in his, what he's in his sixth year of college. We got to asterisk some of this stuff in the COVID years, right? <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. Like this man's played in 133 games. He beat Andre Semenov, but uh, Wooden has had two more years than Semenov had to get to this record. Wooden was like, what was he like early row? Or, or mid-row? He was mid-row. That's crazy, yeah. I think he came into college when I was still in college. Yeah. Because I graduated I want to see, when, did he, when was his first season? I think it was 18. I'm going to look this up real quick. All right, dude, dude. But Wooden, his growth has been phenomenal, and now he's one of no, the he's most... He's awesome, Im- yeah. He's one of the most important offensive playmakers on this team. He's... I think Jamie sports blog guys have dubbed him weeknight wooden or Wednesday wooden, something like that, because he's been electric on the first games of these weekend series and his three point shooting ability has gotten so much better each and every year. Friend of the podcast, Brian Reese has been a wooden supporter since day one and finally coming to fruition, but 133 games played means nada to me. Yeah. He played his, so his freshman year, 2019, 20 season, he um he played on a team where Zach Jacobs was a junior when he was a freshman. Uh, Deshaun Parker was on the roster. What? Anthony Pinkard. Oh, remember Anthony Pinkard? Dude, he wouldn't been around for a while. <laughs> that was some dark days. This the was Pinkard also like days were dark. Can you imagine? This is crazy though. Matt Lewis, Deshaun Parker, Darius Banks. Dwight Wilson, Michael Christmas, Julian Wooden, and that team was just garbage. Like, what was going well, on? Well, Darius Banks was like a key contributor to a NCAA tournament team. <laughs> yeah. Matt Lewis was a G League player, and he's now making a lot of money overseas as a great guard. Uh, Dwight Wilson was the best Mac big man for Ohio. My, uh, yeah, for Ohio. And Deshaun Parker, I think he had a stop at. Uh, I think he had a stop at Akron before ending up at Cleveland State. He never really he was at App. Take the stairs. Remember, That's he was right. taking he was a lot of stairs. He was App, but he never really materialized into much. And then, um, who Christmas. else did you? Christmas. Christmas, Christmas is still, is still, playing, still, on, it's still on Longwood's roster. Uh, I think uh, he leads the team in rebounding. That's a bummer. Those teams aren't going to meet. And Longwood's Longwood slipped a bit here as, as they got into league play. But uh, yeah, Christmas plays a lot for them. It's a pretty good contributor, actually. Kind of hilarious that that team had so much talent. Yeah, multiple guys played in NCAA tournaments, so it'd be cool if Wooden could could eventually get there. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you a little bit. Like the like career games played stuff when you're including a COVID is like a little bit disingenuous.
All right, that's it for News or Snooze, presented by Christopher William Jewelers. Anything else you got to add for this podcast? I don't think so. Looking forward to the week ahead for the basketball teams. Lacrosse begins their season in five days. Uh, Softball begins their season in the next seven days. Baseball begins their season in the next 14 days. You can find softball and baseball previews, key players to watch, and kind of what our overall season expectations are over on jmusportsnews.com. And you can follow along with everything happening in the JMU Sports News world on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't already, be sure to like, rate, subscribe, whatever it is, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning in to the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.